The Furnace by H. C. Bunner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. When I first moved into the country, I have told this story before, but only in the comparative privacy of the poetic form, I inquired for a suitable man to take charge of my furnace. One was recommended to me, and we opened negotiations, which were conducted warily on both sides, for each of us was wondering how much the other knew about a furnace, and each of us was conscious of plenty of ignorance to betray. Finally, the man asked me how much time I wanted him to devote to the furnace. Here I turned and rent him. I told him that if he were applying for the post of furnace tender, he ought to know how much time it was his duty to devote to that particular furnace. This disconcerted him, and he said that he had asked the question only because it had occurred to him that I might want him to stay with the furnace all day. I asked him why he should stay with the furnace all day, and he said, to prevent its blowing up. Now, in my simple city ignorance, I supposed that that man was simply trying to impose upon me and to get a profitable job for himself, but I have since come to know that he merely reflected in his uneducated, exaggerated way the attitude of all suburbanites toward that domestic moloch, the furnace. The furnace is, for eight or nine months in the year, the heart of domestic life and it may be said to feed the pulse of all suburban conversation. Even the question of domestic service has to yield to it in importance as a topic, for you may or you may not at any given time have a cook, but you always have a coal bill. Now I wish to do all that lies in my power to reprehend this tendency. It not only imparts to suburban conversation an ashy and uninteresting flavor, but it spoils the furnace. Long experience has taught me, and I do not hesitate to affirm it, that furnaces are just like children. You can spoil them and set them all wrong in life by making too much fuss over them, by coddling and petting them, by paying attention to their little whims and fancies, and above all by talking about them to their faces in the presence of visitors and strangers. You all know how it is with children." If little Clarabel is in the room, and you say to the lady who is visiting you, Oh, I don't know what to do. Little Clarabel is so sensitive. Do you know the other day she wept for five hours together because the cat killed a little bird on the lawn? Do you know what happens after that? Little Clarabel's one idea is to beat her own record for sensitiveness by weeping six hours over the next dead bird she finds and if she can't find any other way of attracting attention and winning praise for her delicate susceptibilities she will drop a tear on a deceased tumble-bug just to attract a moment's notice in the same way if you tell your visitor in the youngster's hearing that your dear little reginald has such a wonderful flow of spirits that it seems impossible for him to control himself why, you must not be surprised if Reginald seizes the opportunity to kick his football through the parlor window by way of showing the exuberance of his spirits and the impossibility of restraining them. Well, you can spoil a fern as much in the same way as you can spoil a child. Do not for an instant imagine that I began my suburban life with any superiority of knowledge over my neighbors, at least so far as the management of a furnace was concerned. In many other respects I knew more than they did, although I am not using so much knowledge now. 
I treated my furnace with the same familiar indulgence and familiarity, and gave it just as absurd an idea of its own importance as did the most thoughtless of those about me. Many and many a time has that furnace heard me talking through the thin floor that separates the cellar from the ground story, telling of its ways and its fancies, of its extravagance in coal one week, and of its strict economy the next, of its entire unwillingness to work in an east wind, and its furious enthusiasm to roast the house every time there was a breath from the south. Beginning that way, no wonder I turned the poor thing's head. But this was only the least of the foolishness with which I encouraged that furnace to misbehave. I discharged the man whom I had first engaged to take care of it, not because I could find any real fault with him, but because he seemed to me to have no real sense of the seriousness of this responsibility. I thought he treated the furnace in a slighting and disrespectful manner, and I didn't like the way that he slammed the door after he had put the coal in. I hired a small boy to sleep in the house, so that he might be at the service of the furnace day and night. I can say for the boy that he carried out one part of his contract. He slept in the house. It was I who went down late at night after I had got home from a dinner or a dance or a trip to the city to hear the opera, and dove into the cellar to study the immediate needs of that furnace, drowsily summoning to my aid what small scraps of knowledge I possessed about drafts and heat units and cold air supply, only in the end to stir up something or other I didn't know why, to let down something about the end and aim of which I knew still less and to make some combination of dampers and slides and doors for which I never in the world could have offered the slightest reason. Of course, in my earlier suburban days, I was even more foolish in my treatment of my furnace. I took a number of plumbers down to see it, and consulted with them, one at a time, of course, in its very presence. Each one laid out for me a different set of rules by which to work it, and explained to me a different set of principles which governed each set of rules. You could not have told them from so many doctors. At first, too, I showed the furnace to friends of experience and to distinguished strangers who occasionally honored my humble roof. On one occasion I took down a distinguished poet, a scientist of wide reputation, and a man who had recently invented a ten-cent puzzle. And this overdose of glory and dignity was quite too much for the furnace— it would not draw for the next three weeks, and it gave out very little more heat than the refrigerator. The furnace did not improve as the years went on, and the members of the household learned with each successive twelve-month to rely more and more upon open fires and upon a gradual toughening process that went on from September to April, and that made an indoor temperature of fifty degrees Fahrenheit bearable, if not perhaps enjoyable. Then there came a day, a happy day, when the owner of the furnace asserted himself. It was a mild January day of a winter which I had begun by laying in twenty tons of coal for the consumption of that furnace. The boy came up to tell me that they were consumed. He was not the first boy who had made of his young energies a burnt offering to my furnace. He was only one in a long succession— when I heard from his lips that the coal was all gone, and when I reflected that the chilly annoyance of the winter were to be succeeded by the cruel inclemencies of springtime, I was bitterly angered, and for the first time in my experience I went down into the cellar, conscious of an angry and unkind feeling toward my furnace. 
the boy had spoken truth yet not all the truth the twenty tons of coal had vanished from the bin and now slightly charred formed a large portion of what was supposed to be a pile of ashes in a lonely region of the cellar one door of the furnace was broken another had lost its hinge and a huge crack rent its fire-pot halfway through i gave my order sternly and precisely the food for the furnace was no longer to be purchased in twenty-ton lots it was to be fed from hand to mouth ton by ton at a time no plumber was to heal its gaping wounds and i was never to hear one solitary word about it until the summer-time should come when i could tear it out and sell it for old iron and put some more modern device in its place that was six years ago and all has changed since then that day the furnace learned its lesson in bitterness of spirit i have no doubt but faithfully and fully never since then have i had to contend with it perhaps its duties are not performed in absolute cheerfulness of mind but so long as it locks up its discontent in its breast and locks no clinkers there i shall not complain a dull and sullen servant it may be but so diligent and loyal and steady that i try to shut my eyes to the fact that the crack in the fire-pot is steadily widening and that before long the companion of many days and nights of suburban solitude and solicitude will be loaded on a truck and will be borne dangling and clanging away from its home to lie in some riverside junkyard and rust itself redder than it ever would fire up for me in the meantime it patiently eats and turns to good account short rations of coal grudgingly doled out to it too often from the sifted ash heap end of the furnace by h c bunner